We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, the topic is more Q&A, and the first one is this. You conservatives are the real enemies of truth. It's an arrogant position. You always think you're right. The real enemies of truth here are you people who always postulate in absolutes. You think that you're absolutely right all the time. Why in the world can't you see that that's the problem? I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. Good morning, and welcome to The Rebellion. Thank you for listening to the show. Well, as I said at the beginning of the week, I want to do a series of Q&A, just responding to random questions that I've received. By the way, just a heads up here, I'm starting a new column for the Washington Times, in addition to the one I write on a weekly basis right now, just one of their contributing columnists on the weekend, They've asked me to start what they've called kind of a, uh, a Dear Abby or Ann Landers type Q&A column for them. So I'm going to start that this weekend. It'll basically be fielding various different questions from the readers of the Washington Times and giving my answer to those questions. It can, it can involve anything, politics, religion, theology, worldview, uh, LGBTQIA, gun rights, border security. National sovereignty. What's the difference between patriotism and nationalism, if there is a difference? Uh, The political debate with regard to Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, and other candidates. Joe Biden, Hunter Biden. Uh, Parenting. It'll deal with any and all of these issues as the readers ask questions. So you might want to start turning to the Washington Times for your daily news. It is a good, thoughtful newspaper that always presents the news but yet presents conservative commentary in its opinion section uh, with regard to how we're supposed to be digesting the facts of our daily lives, the things that are being presented to us. And I can say this, the Washington Times has never censored me, not one iota, zero, zip. They've never told me, you can't say that. They've never threatened me uh, because I've said something that made someone uncomfortable, whether it be the higher-ups within their organization or whether it be a reader out there or whether it be some politician that called them and said, you need to stop these writers from saying certain things. Uh, You're triggering people. It's a microaggression. It's dangerous. No, the Washington Times has never done that. In fact, there's very little I disagree with Tucker Carlson about, but his his post yesterday where he's announcing that he's going to start a new media outlet, uh, a new news agency, if you will, via Twitter, he suggested that the only neutral, the only objective, the only real news outlet left to us is Twitter. And I understand why he's saying that, because it's it's uncensored, it's unfettered, and he can say what he wants, and he doesn't have to worry about somebody shutting him down, or at least that's what he believes, and he has good reasons to believe that in his conversations with Elon Musk. But I would say this, I've experienced no censorship whatsoever with the Washington Times. So I do think there are other media outlets out there, in addition to Twitter, that are allowing you to say what you want to say. 
because I've experienced that type of freedom with the Washington Times. So anyway, with that said, today is kind of a teaser to that new column, that Q&A that I'll be doing with the Washington Times in the upcoming days, weeks, months, and hopefully years. And I'm going to answer this question. I'll give you the exact question as I received it, verbatim, and then we'll take a break and I'll give you the answer. And if we have time, I might get into another question or two. But here's a question that I received, well, it not, not just yesterday, but it's pertinent because I could have received it yesterday because it's still a question or an accusation. It's a question, but it's really a veiled accusation. And this one comes from a young college student who fancied himself to be some sort of accomplished postmodern philosopher. Okay, and he maintains that Christians and their belief in objective standards of morality. He believes that Christians are arrogant who take that position, that morality is an objective reality. It's an objective standard. It doesn't change just because of your feelings or because of culture. This young man argues that that's an arrogant imposition by which Christians try to force our values on the rest of society. So it's this claim that we want to force a theocracy on everybody else. Okay? And he's making that claim because we believe in objective standards and objective morality. So here's his exact question within the context of that intro that I just gave you. Truth, he says, as an objective absolute is an arrogant position. This is the problem with you Christians. You always think that you're right. The real enemies of truth are people who postulate absolutes rather than those who contest the constructs of socially, politically, and culturally powerful people who want to impose their truth on the rest of us. Close quote. Now one more time, then we'll take a break. Truth as an objective absolute is an arrogant position, he says. The real problem is you Christians. Then he goes on, he says, you always think you're right. The real enemy of truth here is you people, people who postulate absolutes rather than those who, like us who contest the constructs of socially, politically, and culturally powerful people who want to impose their truth on the rest of us. So that's his statement, but it's really, I'm going to treat it as a question, and I'm going to give you my response after the break. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. In 1978, George and Kate Tedford set out to protect Oklahoma businesses better. Today, their son and our CEO, Mark Tedford, is excited to carry on his family's legacy. Professional liability, compliance, property, workers' comp, health and life. Tedford Insurance's dedicated team gives you access to the nation's largest insurance providers, negotiates the best rates, and protects their own legacy like no one else. Call 918-299-2345 or tedfordinsurance.com. The Patriot Auto Group, locally owned and operated. The Patriot family of dealerships takes great pride in supporting the communities we serve throughout the great state of Oklahoma. The Patriot Auto Group's charitable work has been recognized throughout Oklahoma. Whether it's visiting one of our local dealerships or simply shopping and buying online with our doorstep delivery, the Patriot Auto Group takes the stress out of buying a new or used vehicle. And every purchase comes with our exclusive peace of mind, Patriot Pledge. You get engines for life, plus one-year maintenance and 10 full years of roadside assistance, plus so much more. Sure, we can sell you a car, 
but supporting our community and lending a hand to our neighbors in need? Sold. The Patriot Auto Group. Proud Oklahomans in the communities we serve. Okay, welcome back to The Rebellion. Okay, so one more time, I want you to hear the question or the comment. I'm going to treat it as a question, this accusation, if you, if you will. Here, here it is, and it comes from this young college student who thinks he knows more than everybody else for the past 2,000 years who's preceded him. All right, truth as an objective absolute is an arrogant position. Do you see the problem already? He just stated an absolute to refute an absolute. Is. Okay, truth as an objective absolute is, I could insert here, absolutely an arrogant position. So he's sawing off the branch upon which he sits, even in his first sentence. This is the problem with you Christians. Again, he's being very absolute here, isn't he, in refuting absolutes. You always think you're right. Well, I might want to respond and say, well, do you think you're right for criticizing me for being right? Uh, obviously, you don't think you're wrong or you wouldn't waste your breath confronting me right now, do you? Or would you? Okay, so he doesn't think he's wrong. Yes, he does think he's right, and he's going to criticize everybody else for thinking they're right, simply because he disagrees with them because they're Christians. And then he goes on, he says this, the real enemies of truth are people like you who postulate absolutes rather than those who contest constructs, you know, like us. So he's postulating an absolute to refute those who postulate an absolute, but he's trying to hide it by saying that all he's doing is contesting constructs of people like us, the socially, politically, and culturally powerful who want to impose their truth on all the rest of us. Well, this is so laden with fallacies, it's laughable. Okay, now here's my response. I've already given you part of it, I suppose. First, first, I want to be very clear that everything I'm saying right now is not an attack of this young man as a person. I'm attacking his ideas. I'm not attacking him. Now, he has attacked people by the name of Christian. So he's, he's basically committing an ad hominem here by lumping Christians, you people, into one category. But I, I'm not going to do that. Okay, I'm going after his ideas, or at least I'm going to try very hard not to be guilty of the same fallacy that he's, that he's employing in confronting me. Okay, it's incredibly important here that we remember to honor the dignity of all people as we engage in any debate. And unfortunately, the opposite prevails much too often in our present culture. I mean, that's true in this debate in Bartlesville right now. We're maligning a man because we don't like him or we don't like his family history or we don't like his name and therefore we malign him, we say we don't trust him, and then we start exaggerating our claims against him because it's become personal rather than principled. And that is why I gave you my podcast yesterday where I said, conservatives, stop it, back down, stop committing the same stupid, fallacious mistakes that the left commits all the time. I, I think loyalty matters. And if you're going to flip on me just because you disagreed with me on my critique of the city attorney for Bartlesville, then that disloyalty tells me a lot about you. Can't we disagree? Okay. And if you disagreed with me when I criticized the city mayor and the city council for sitting on their hands too long, and I still hold to that position, even though I do respect Jess Kane and his council, I still believe 
that the language, the messaging from the mayor at the beginning of this whole process was broken. I think it was foolish, and I think it was shallow. And I think that type of thinking got us into this mess in the first place. Um, just going with this radical uh, moral relativism in in his statement when he said, what's one man's flower is another man's weed, or what is one man's weed is another man's flower, who are we to judge? As he responded to the to the grooming of children by adult men who dress in drag and teach young children how to give them dollar bills as they cavort and grind in front of them with uh, Shania Twain's I Feel Like a Woman playing in the background. I mean, to say that that's just, who are we to judge? That's ridiculous. We are to judge. That's what we elected the mayor and the city councilmen to do. So I don't apologize for challenging that. Now, if you disagree with me, fine. But if you're going to become disloyal and and if you're going to become uh, personal about it, then I, I don't respect that. You know, take a higher ground than that. Um, so anyway, I digress here. Let's get back to the issue at hand. Disagreement. Disagreement quickly degenerates into yelling and anger and intimidation when we allow ourselves to get sucked into these emotional tactics that lend themselves to rants and accusations more than rational debate and conclusions. These are distractions, this type of argument. It's a distraction, pure and simple, and it serves to make the attacker feel superior at the expense of his or her opponents, who are often more polite and more soft-spoken. And, and that's just wrong. First Corinthians in the Bible, as well as any basic Socratic logic, clearly condemns this kind of gamesmanship. So my following comments here in answering this young man's question are not intended to be personal. It's not intended to be an attack of the individual. It's, a, it's, it's an attack of the ideas. Um, I'm going to try to focus on those ideas and the consequences of his ideas. And then I'm going to prayerfully <laughs> flee any temptation to be hurtful or rude or demeaning toward him or anybody else that disagrees with me. Conservatives, listen up. Try to do the same thing. Prayerfully flee any temptation to be hurtful, rude, demeaning toward anybody else, whether it be your friends or your foes. And if, if somebody disagrees with you, your first reaction shouldn't be accusations and disloyalty and name-calling and some sort of bloodlust to get back at them. That's ridiculous, especially when you're turning the firing squad into a circle and firing at your own. That is a sure recipe for disaster and failure. Now, in, all, in the context of all this, I'm going to respond to this young man's first point. And I've got to admit that I'm smiling a bit when I'm reading his statement, when I share this entire accusation or question with you. He mentions that those who claim that there are objective truths are arrogant, and they're the real enemies of truth. I'm using his language right now. At people who postulate absolutes, like, like me, like you, rather than those like him that contest such constructs. So here's a question for this guy, my young philosopher to consider. It, aren't you postulating your own absolute in making this claim? Again, I've already hinted at that. Doesn't your own logic here assume the very objective standards of measurement that you condemn in others, like me, for using? The proposition of your argument that you are absolutely right in believing that absolutists like me are absolutely wrong for believing in absolutes <laughs> makes me feel a little dizzy here. 
do you see the problem? I'm, I'm using this young man's own language to expose that he is inadvertently affirming the case for absolutes by using absolute language to refute absolutes. And this happens over and over and over again for progressives. They do it all the time. You've heard me say it before. They say, I can't tolerate your intolerance. Well, they're intolerant in condemning what they view as being intolerant. So they demonstrate that they are the very thing that they despise. They say, I know nothing can be known. Well, how can you say that? If nothing can be known, you can't know that nothing can be known. I'm absolutely confident that there are no absolutes. That's what this young man is saying right now. He's using absolutist language to condemn me for being an absolutist. He's sawing off the branch upon which he sits. And like I said, I'm getting dizzy here because it's like watching a dog chase its tail. Now, let's go on. The next thing I have to say to him is I've just got to comment, at least briefly, about the implicit confidence that he has in his position. He says this, The problem with you Christians is that you think you're always right. Now, I don't begrudge him the strength of his conviction. In fact, an argument would be of little, if any, value. There's no authority, energy, weight, or purpose in an argument if you didn't think that you were right. If there's no sense of accuracy, if there's no degree or confidence in the veracity that you're you're on higher ground, that your position is better than mine, then what's the point? So I've, I'm not condemning the argument here. In fact, I admire the young man's backbone. He's going after me. That's fine. But I've got to at the same time point out the problem embedded just under the surface of this self-assurance. You see, here again, his passion to expose the wrongness of someone else's thinking, like a conservative Christian like me, his passion simply cannot stand unless he believes in the rightness of his own absolutes and that the rightness of his argument prevails. In, in other words, aren't you basically saying that you're right in criticizing anyone else who thinks they're right? And by doing so, by default, you've joined the ranks of those who accuse you. Do you get my point here? The only other position would be to say that you're wrong in condemning those who think they're right. But that would be ridiculous, right? You're not going to enter into a debate, into an argument, into an exchange, a conversation, and say, well, I'm wrong, but I'm going to say this anyway. No, you're going to say, I'm right, and I want to tell you why I think I'm right, and your position is wrong. That's what I'm doing right now, but I've got the honesty to admit it. My young challenger doesn't. And here's one last word. If absolute truth is nothing but a personal illusion, which is what he's implying, and if it's nothing but misplaced arrogance, all right? Again, this is what's implicit in his accusation or question. If that's the case, if absolute truth is nothing but personal illusion and misplaced arrogance, then All ideas, every single idea, every single value, and all of the consequent behaviors that that spring from these ideas and values 
They're nothing but the product of what I'll call anthropological constructs, the constructs of people, of man. And if that's the case, it really doesn't matter what a person believes. It really doesn't matter. Nothing matters. For, for what I believe or for what you believe, it doesn't matter. All that does matter, if this young man's worldview prevails, is political and social power. Because that's what it all digresses to. Because the political and social power of a given time and place, is, that's it. That's it. And we should be fine with that, right? Okay, because there are no absolutes. And if your answer, like this young man answer apparently is, if your answer is yes, then I'm going to take you back and I'm going to help you reevaluate your original point where you bemoan, you bemoan the constructs of the socially, politically, and culturally powerful who impose their truth on all the rest of us. Your worldview will result in nothing but social, political, and cultural power prevailing because there's no absolute measurement or truth to correct those things, to stand in the way and say, no, you can't go there. Hitler, you can't go there. Pol Pot, you can't go there. Mao, you can't go there. Bull Connor in the South, you can't go there. That's why we have the American system of justice. It's the ultimate standard of truth, blind to all the social and political power constructs that this young man seems to think should trump objective truth because he doesn't want people to be socially, politically, and culturally powerful. This makes no sense. Again, it's the nature of the progressive mind. It's self-refuting and hypocritical at every turn. It's very inconsistent. It can't sustain itself. All right? So you're bemoaning the constructs of Christianity because it's too socially, politically, and culturally powerful, but then you're turning around and you're handing all of society ultimately to social, political, and cultural power, because there's nothing else to stand in the way. There's no absolute truth to serve as the fence between those powerful people and everybody else. Truth has been executed on the altar of political expediency in this young man's philosophy. his, His position leaves nothing but power, personal and collective, as a basis for anyone, anyone to critique or challenge someone else's impositions. And he's bemoaning impositions while he's setting up everybody to be the subject of the imposition of the powerful that prevail in his worldview. David Horowitz tells about this whole thing in his book, Left Illusions. I've talked about this book before on this show. And he says this, when we forfeit the absolutes afforded to us by the boundaries of truth, we're going to, at the same time, lose all objective measures of what is right and what is wrong. And then we suffer the inevitable consequences of being subject to what is called, what he calls, the rule of the gang as the final judge. So the gang, the mob, will prevail. And then we know that, because of the lessons of history, that the gang will not be the final arbiter to be trusted. We know that the final arbiter is going to be tyranny because the chaos of the gang is going to be corrected by power. And that power is going to be given to the one person that we think can rescue us 
from the bloodlust of the gang. That's how Mao rose to power. That's how Pol Pot rose to power. That's frankly how Hitler rose to power. It's how every despot rises to power. They create chaos. This is the Marxist worldview. Conflict. Conflict between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat in the old economic model. And now it's the conflict between the privileged and those that, quote-unquote, are disenfranchised. So you create this conflict. The conflict creates chaos. You see the riots in the streets of Baltimore, Seattle, Portland. You can't live in downtown Portland any longer because there's chaos. Well, people aren't going to, they're they're not going to endure that forever. Sooner or later, quite frankly, it's going to be sooner rather than later. People will rise up and say, well, that defund the police nonsense. Well, that was stupid. We need a very strong police force. We need an authoritarian to come in and crack the whip and crack down on all of this all of this insanity, this illegal stuff, the destruction of our property. We can't live like this. We've got to get all these homeless people off the street. We've got to get these thugs, these criminals behind bars, and then everybody will celebrate law and order. But we, we destroyed truth as the arbiter of law, and we just gave it first to the gang, and then to correct the gang, we give it to the tyrant. That's the lesson of history. All right? So, in confronting my young man, I just want to repeat. Number one, when somebody says the problem with you people that believe in absolutes is, and then just fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what follows the is, because the is is an absolute claim against those of us who believe in absolutes. And then to claim that it's the powerful, it's the social structures that need to be torn down, because that's the problem. Well, then you're going to turn around and solve it with what? New social structures and a new power base. And the new social structure and the new power base will have no absolute truth left to correct it because you killed that. You killed the concept of Lady Justice being blind. You killed fairness. You killed truth. You executed truth on your altar of subjectivity. And then you turn around and say, I'm going to declare the new truth. This is exactly what Robespierre did in the French Revolution. And the blood flowed in the streets because they executed God, so to speak. They killed truth. They tried to change everything because, like Diderot said, we will not be satisfied until the last king is hanged by the entrails of the last priest. They wanted to kill the government structure as well as the church structure and then build something up in its place because those old constructs, those old social, political, and religious constructs were bad. Because we can't have that type of power controlling all the people. But then they turn around and they create a new power base that's even uglier than what they just executed via the guillotine. And what happens in the end? Their own heads roll. Robespierre, the leader of this whole movement of insanity, of arrogance, of postmodernity, you know, the poster child for it, for this young man's worldview who's confronting me, he lost his own head by the instrument of his own making. He declared himself to be as God. He literally did, declared himself to be as God. And then the people rose up against him. And what did that set the stage for? It set the stage for Napoleon, a tyrant, to march across all of Europe, trying to control the world and put it under his thumb. Again, the chaos is always corrected by a tyrant. Or... 
the other possibility here is to recognize the biblical worldview and that we're created in the image of God. The, the Darwinistic worldview is a lie. Marxism and its, its um, argument that we're all the product of the primordial ooze, that we have no moral worth or moral significance. The human individual isn't important. It's the collective. You can crush the individual. You can kill the individual for the sake of the greater good. This diminishment of the human being that comes with Marxism that leads to chaos, this denial of truth that leads to the crushing power of the gang and then the tyrant. These things are the inevitable consequence of this broken worldview that this young man brings to the table when he asks me these questions or when he makes this statement, this accusation, this ridiculous claim that the problem here with you all is those of you who believe in absolutes, thus using an absolute claim to refute absolutists. The postmodern worldview implodes on itself at every turn, and all you have to do is ask a couple questions. Like I've said time and time again, you can start by just saying, is it absolutely true that there are no absolutes? And then just be quiet, (laughs) smile, and listen, and you'll watch the worldview of your opponent implode. And if they're honest, they'll drop their stones and walk away. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion.